Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Elixir Mix. On our panel today, we have Eric Bolakowski. I'm always worried I'm going to say your name wrong, Eric. It's getting better and better. Keep at it. <laughs> I'm still saying it wrong. All right. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And we have Adi Ayungar here. He's going to talk to us about Phoenix testing, which is always exciting. Adi, do you want to just introduce yourself real quick? I see you're writing a book with Pact Publishing, which is also exciting. You have a blog, which is kind of where we found you. But yeah, who, who are you? Like, where are you from? What do you do? Sure. Elixir? Yeah. <laughs> sure, yeah. So I'm Adi. I work as a backend engineer at Community. I have been working with Elixir since uh, 2015. And since then, I have authored a few open source packages and contributed to a few of them, including Elixir itself. Super passionate about functional programming test-driven development and just promoting Elixir, right? And that's one of the big reasons why the next step for me was to write a book, you know? I find ways to contribute in the community, you know, like I organize Boston meetups and contribute to open source, but mm -hmm. like writing a book kind of creates that multiplicative effect where people can learn and themselves start contributing. So that was the, that was the motivation behind writing a book. Did you work your tail off to get that senior developer gig just to realize that senior dev doesn't actually mean dream job? I've been there too. My first senior developer job was at a place where all of our triumphs were the bosses and all the failures were ours. The second one was a great place to continue to learn and grow, only for it to go under due to poor management. And now I get job offers from great places to work all the time. Not only that, but the last job interview I actually sat in was a discussion about how much my podcast had helped the people interviewing me. If you're looking for a way to get into your dream job, then join our Dev Heroes Accelerator. Not only will we help you get the kind of exposure that makes you attractive to your dream employer, but you'll be able to ask them for top dollar as well. Check it out at devheroesaccelerator.com. I gotcha. How far into the book are you? Yes, I'm done with the first two chapters, and we expect to publish that around October, November period. Gotcha. Having written a book, it's a lot of work, so. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely it is. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so you uh, posted this blog post on my thoughts on testing Phoenix Controller plug setup. And so, yeah, I'm wondering if you can just uh, back up a little bit and tell us kind of the background behind this particular blog post. Like, why'd you write it? What? It seems pretty fundamental, right? You know, plug right. and controllers. So, yeah. Right. So, so this is like, it came off from like a symptom that I noticed that a lot of times when a plug is being used in several controllers and the plug itself has, uh, you know, several use cases, all the use cases are not tested in the controller test. And you know, by the way, I'm saying controller test, but in Phoenix, controller test really means it tests endpoint, router, controller, views, mm -hmm. ergo, templates. But the controller tests don't really test all the use cases for plugs. And, you know, it, it, you can say it's not needed, right? Because the plug is tested. But we're not really testing. We're not being explicit about what we're testing, right? And so my, my motivation was how can we in, in, incentivize people to, you know, when you write a controller and you expect a plug to be called, to test their expectations correctly. Right. And a good, great way to incentivize people is to reduce the number of lines of code. Right. And and also like, you know, another side of this is like something I call usage testing, but it's really unit testing, but a more specific case of that, where if you have two components of software, A and B, 
and A uses B, then testing how A uses B should be somewhat enough given that B is tested sufficiently, right? And so instead of testing all the integration cases of A of B through A, just C is A using B correctly. Mm-hmm. And just to like give an example, and like from Ruby on Rails community, there's something called shoulda matches, mm-hmm. which test, you know, if you have a model post and post requires, you know, title, right? And shoulda matches allow you to say, okay, expect posts to require titles, but it doesn't create a post in the database and inserts it and sees without a title if there's an error. It actually tests the presence of the line require, validate require title, right? Instead of testing the effect, it tests that you're calling it correctly. And it's from it's along the same lines. So it's, it incentivizes people to write that because it's just one liner and it also kind of you're accepting the fact that you can never really test all the use cases because at some point the plug's going to get complicated enough that you'll miss something. Right. So I also I'm going to admit that I'm a little out of practice with Elixir. Sure. So I've kind of run through some examples. I've put plugs into my controllers. I get that they kind of modify my you know my pipeline, but I'm. They're still magic to me. Right. <laughs> this is right. kind of how I'm going to put it. So can you just explain a little bit of how they work? And then we can talk about, yeah, a little bit more on, okay, what's your approach to testing them that is different maybe from how other people are doing it? Right. Uh, so in effect, what plugs do is uh, what in Rails controller, what are they called? Callbacks? Before. Yeah, before actions, right? Before yeah, before actions. action. Right, yeah. what they do. And how kind of Phoenix works is that there is a centralized construct called plug.con. And that structure is what mm-hmm. gets you know updated throughout the pipeline. And a plug is a way to update that con, right? right. And if, say, you are sending an authorization token, for example, a plug, mm-hmm. one of the plug's responsibility could be to decode that token and see if the user is correctly you know, assigned and then assign that user, the decoded version of that user to that con for further usage, right? right? So that's where you would use a plug. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm I'm much more familiar with Rails, but with Rails, what you wind up doing is, I mean, anything that's within the context, you can basically touch, right? But Elixir's functional programming. And so effectively, you're saying you pass in the con. And so you're, you're somewhat, I guess, more limited or more focused on what you actually can change, right? So it's anything on that con object you know so your i guess your request your response things like that are all contained in that con totally so okay because yeah i haven't written my own plug and so i'm just like oh it does this nice thing for me and then i you know magic ensues and then it you know it does the right thing and so that's that's where i was okay that makes sense really a shameless plug by the way about the book itself the book i'm writing is actually walks you through writing Phoenix, building Phoenix. And uh-huh. it actually w- covers how to write a plug construct and how to build a controller from scratch and then kind of wrap it into the Phoenix DSL, Phoenix DSL that makes it look you know, clean. So if you want to learn, Chuck, how to how plugs work better, maybe you should you should get the book. <laughs> gotcha. I will. I'll, I'll happily check it out. We'll have awesome. you back on when it comes out. But yeah, okay. Nice. So oh go ahead. Sorry, Eric. Yeah. Talking too much. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, so, no, that's uh, that. That sounds like that sounds great. I mean, for me, it's it's interesting. I'm I've been around, you know, hanging around JavaScript and Node and React and this kind of JavaScript full stack world for quite a long time now. So, and I know close to nothing about Ruby and Rails, and I'm new to Elixir. And I admit that I did two hours of background reading about Phoenix today because I'm still kind of gasping Elixir and then nice. to Phoenix. And I was like reading a lot of posts about this. And uh, it was interesting when I was trying to figure out what was actually plugs. And it kind of reminded me about this thing that we have in, I don't know how you know, how much you know about Node, but there's something called Express, which is the typical backend server. Mm-hmm. And there's like a chain of middlewares. You basically can chain the request that is incoming through a bunch of middlewares. And there's this hot new backend framework that's called Nest.js, which is a bit like to Elixir. It's, I think Nest to Node is what uh, Phoenix is to, to Elixir, I mean, from what I've gathered so far. Mm. And Nest is a very elegant notion of how you can actually chain stuff through a bunch of pipes. You basically pipe the request through a bunch of uh, interceptors before it makes it to the actual control method. And for me, this is kind of like pretty well, pretty well what, what I've seen about plugs so far. And also the context object that you're building up, and to me it's so fascinating that we actually have this 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 very neat thing in Phoenix and Elixir that you just have this this pipe. You're piping something through a bunch of different steps, and it's the happy path. And if something fails, then you follow the principle of Erlang that it should fail, and you let the more intelligent, you know, Erlang engine catch the failure and then see what happens then. But it's mostly about the happy path, and then it's basically are basically a bunch of check marks that things have to go through before they can we can proceed. That's how I have understood it so far. Is that correct, actually? <laughs> Anything, any lights to shed on that image that I'm building? I think that's a very good image, actually. The middleware is a great way to look at plugs. And, and you brought up a very good point about the whole happy path. And uh, Phoenix mm-hmm. and Elixir, kind of, they go out of their way to uh, facilitate you to code in that way, right? Phoenix introduced in 1.3 something called fallback controller. Its purpose is to let you focus on happy path. So all the errors are handled at that central place fallback controller, which itself is a plug. And again, the focus on happy path is, like you said, it it really catalyzes usage of plugs really well. Nice, yeah, super interesting. So you basically have have a path and then one place where all of the other things can be can be close. Right. Yeah. In, in React, there's this notion of uh, it's very well it's very well worded. It's called an error boundary, where something can bubble up and then it's caught in this boundary, which is basically like a safety net. Awesome, yeah. So so let's go back here and let's talk about now that we're kind of got our foundation here for plugs. So when you test plugs, right, you essentially just test that the con has whatever changes the plug would have made to it, right? Is, is that essentially what you're testing in the normal way of doing it, right? Right. If you're testing the plug itself, right, in, in isolation, mm-hmm. you test what changes it makes to the con. Yep. Right. Just to and clarify, con is context, right? Connection, really. Connection. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So the kind of request response object or right yeah okay yeah, nice okay yeah you have the con instant sorry i couldn't help it <laughs> could not help okay uh, anyway so all right so so star, star trek fat hair as well go on <laughs> so so what are, what do you advocate doing differently then right uh so not i'm not really advocating changing the way you test the plug but changing okay. the way you test the controller itself so uh, okay. just taking the example 
from the post, right? So there's the page controller, right? And there's a plug which uh, tests whether, you know, uh, the user going to a specific action has a claim that's required for that action. For example, page index would need a claim called page read, right? Uh So how you would traditionally test it is a controller test, create a con with page read, go to index and see whether you get a 200. And if it doesn't have page read, say if you get like a, you know, 404, 409, mm-hmm. 401, whatever you've configured, right? But if you add that action in every controller, you have to have those use cases. Like, you know, there's a potential for, you know, 409 if the, or 422 mm-hmm. if, the, if the token isn't structured correctly and whatnot, right? So you cannot ha- test all the use cases for all the actions in every controller. By experience, mm-hmm. I know it doesn't happen, right? It happens the first time, <laughs> but developers hate writing tests. So instead, what you should test is, does your controller call plug required claims with these options instead of testing mm-hmm. each action? So it's testing the usage instead of testing the effect. Okay. So then you effectively stub out the, yeah, do you stub out the claims? or uh, it's, yeah. not really, it's not really stubbed out because there is no clean way of doing that in Elixir. We still uh-huh. test the happy path in controller, but all the other things we don't worry about because we assume that it's tested sufficiently. And right. all we do is towards the end, you can see like there is something called a uses plug and uses plug just test whether a controller uses this plug with these options. Okay. So that was the idea. Yeah, I saw that in there. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. I saw that in there. I was wondering if that was you, an API you built or was that an API that... Yeah, the, the pretty much the whole thing after the controller and controller test, I built that because so Phoenix is great, but I think it lacks a lot of introspective features. You know, when you add a plug mm-hmm. to the controller, it's really not possible for you to inspect it after the controller is defined. That's why okay. I needed that before compile hook to create a method, define a method using uh, macros. Okay. To later use for an, an introspection for testing. I got gotcha. you. How do you, how have other developers in your experience already kind of compensated with this lack of introspection? I mean, if you kind of have to introduce this, this pre-compile step to these directives that are being used in the test, but also in the code. How have other people's, I mean, when they want to test similar things, do they also have other solutions for this? Yeah, from my experience, I think people... It's a little looked down upon in the Elixir community to write tests like this. And, and you know, believe me, I, I ideally would love to write integration tests too, which is why a lot of, you know, Elixir core team people don't have support for writing tests like this. They want you to write all integration tests, right? But in effect, if, you, if you're working in a company, you see that, you know, even the best places don't have, you know, all the use cases tested for all the controllers. And if you accept that, you can like you kind know, of compromise a little bit and say, okay, this te- this plug is sufficiently tested. Now, I unfortunately I have to incentivize people to write this test. Therefore, let's write make this one liner that people can just put write their expectations in. It's funny, like I opened a proposal in the Elixir groups in, for for Elixir language itself, and uh, Jose kind of turned that down after like a few comments, and the comment mm-hmm. was. Like, you know, the use keyword that calls the using macro of a module. The proposal was to store all the uses for a module in the mm-hmm. module, right? So you can see whether a module is using something. 
And motivation behind that was, hey, can I just test that this module is using this module instead of having to test the effect of using that module? But again, yeah, like I said, it's like look down upon. And I think I also didn't do a good job selling (laughs) that. So uh, (laughs) uh, because I do believe that's that's, that's a place where at least some people will tend to go because the community is still new and, you know, I'm sure people will either realize we need that or maybe I'm terribly wrong. <laughs> well, makes sense. History, history will tell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Either well, way, I think it, of, I mean, I'm sure you had a great experience going just, just down this path and the, we had other guests on the, on the podcast that were, you know, testing the boundaries of Elixir in different ways just for having the experience of it. So in many ways, it's still useful. Yeah, well, it's interesting, too, because there are things that were exceptionally frowned upon in the various communities that I've been involved in over the years that as time went on and opinions changed, people kind of got to be okay with. And so it's it's interesting, you know, we may come back around to this in a few years and somebody may go, why are we doing this? And somebody else will go, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, why are we doing this? And then, you know, so so who knows, right? Hopefully. All right. So you put the uses plug in. I'm just kind of walking through this article, right? Mm-hmm. Uses plug question mark in, right? Right. And so now you're testing, hey, is it using this plug, right? Mm-hmm. And so now you've got to crack open the controller, right? And see what plugs it's using, right? Right. And so so how did you do that? How did you actually get that information out? Right. Yeah. So I had to look at uh, how the controller pipeline works in Phoenix. And a lot of it's, it's a lot of kind of a scattered meta programming because I, th- I think a lot of that code was written a while ago. So uh, I figured that uh, there's this module attribute called plugs where anytime you make a plug call, it's all the plug calls are accumulated in that along with the AST version, the quoted expression version of the options. Oh, really? But the pl- yeah, yeah. Uh, because you don't, you don't want to evaluate the options right then. You want mm-hmm. to save it for when the plug is being called but you right. want to save the call, record the call, call itself. And it's, uh, yeah, it's very interesting because the module attribute is not, it's, it's only used like once, at, uh, like later on to define functions that are further called when you call the controller. And I figured maybe I can just write a before compile hook. All that does is it defines a function plugs, which returns that module attribute. Uh, you know, so the function is defined and the module attribute is deleted after the after the module is compiled, but I still have access to that function. And I used the web.ex uh, file where all the controller macros exist to add that before compile hook. It's actually in the blog post. Um, it's, re- it's a relatively bigger blog post. <laughs> it is, yeah, it's in taking it a step further section. If you can see that on the left side in the table of contents, that's where I define a before compile hook that defines a plug underscore underscore plugs function. Yeah. So, so yes, you define the function and then you're able to access that plugs. And so then you just check it and make sure that the plug is in there, right? Exactly. Yep. Yeah. The tricky part was also, you can write like guard clauses with the plugs, uh, just like in Rails, uh, you, mm-hmm. you can do before action if the action is indexed. Similarly, you can do plug require capabilities if the action is indexed. And those things are quoted expressions. So towards the end, I kind of just like go go down a little a little bit of a philosophical rabbit hole about you know how should you test that. So because quoted expressions are evaluated in a context, right? And if you if I define a quoted expression in the test, 
the context mm-hmm. will be different from the defining it in the controller. So I just test the literal string version of the current expression, which is not logical equivalence, it's literal equivalence. Mm-hmm. But you know, you have to compromise at some point. <laughs> right. I you know. I'm sitting right. there trying to figure out how I feel about this. <laughs> right. But yeah, I mean, we all go to that place, right? Where it's I'm gonna do it's gross, but I'm gonna make it work. And right. then right. And then I'll go see if I can ungross it. But yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Did you end up with something that you're actually comfortable releasing for people to use, or was this just more of a mental exercise? Uh, this is actually in our production code. And I mean, the quoted expressions part, testing the literal equivalence, I think that's fine because it's not, there's not really many combinations that you can write three words in, <laughs> right? And it uh-huh. will still not give you a compilation error. So yeah, I think I think this is a perfectly fine way to test things, which and it really satisfied a use case of making sure that we you know, test whether A uses B correctly. In mm-hmm. fact, the same philosophy, we uh, and that's going to be my next blog post, we're using for router test, which is actually not even a thing. There, there are no router tests in uh, Phoenix. But using the same philosophy of, hey, do these routes use these pipelines defined in the router? We can kind of, you know, at least make sure that if we change the pipeline, some tests will break. Right. Right. So the same philosophy we're, uh, we're going to apply to routers, and I'm going to have a few kind of blog posts in this usage testing umbrella coming up. Yeah, that makes sense. Hey, folks! If you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv/premium. I'm getting a bit philosophical here. I mean, I think that look at this. Isn't kind of the point of tests to to increase our level of confidence uh, about code? That's like one of the takeaways that I've seen from totally. a couple of conference conferences I've been to. And when there are routes that are you know so declarative and are so straightforward and rely on something that seems to be you know as robust as Phoenix is. What is kind of like the, the the it seems like you're basically just having a second layer of declarations about what you wrote what your routes should be. It's almost as if you're just copy pasting the actual code into this kind of header file, so to speak, just to confirm what you already have implemented, which is already kind of self-evident. Is it actually uh, really needed? I would perhaps you know just to play devil's advocates here. What is actually the point of having something granular as router tests? Yeah, that's a very good point. And the so this is the basics. Uh, I mean, the simple argument for this is a typo, right? If you have two pipelines, authorized client one, authorized client two, that, you know, many companies do that, V1, V2, right? If somehow there's a typo, you change V1 to V2, you want a test to break, right? So the sanity test approach, right? So no typos get into it. And you can say that, you know, Test uh, the PR review process should catch that, but you probably want a machine to catch that. <laughs> so that was the initial approach, and the sec the second reason is same as uh, incentivizing testing. If the same pipelines are used across, uh, and pipeline is consist of plugs, right? And if the same mm-hmm. pipeline is used for like ten routes, are you going to test all the use cases of that pipeline for every route? 
probably not, right? So just testing whether the route calls the pipeline should be sufficient. It's again, ideal, like I said earlier, in, the, in an ideal world, I love integration tests because I never compromise running tests. But unfortunately, vast majority of people are not like that. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, no, I was going to... In... Go ahead. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Chuck. <laughs> yeah, I think on one hand, you're doing automation, which is really good. That's one of the things that testing really can really help out with, you know, to, to save the manual testing, basically. And second, it was for security purposes. And that's that's actually two very good points. Yeah, I mean, for, for the typo thing, I just, I don't see that very often. And so the the amount of value that I would get out of routing tests for that, I just, I honestly, I agree with Eric's original point. I just don't know that I see it there. As far as knowing that a particular route is tested because the pipeline behind it is getting tested, I do like that argument. I really, that, that makes some sense to me, right? Because I can actually see my way to, okay, I want to know if somebody hits this, that it's hitting something that I can understand and, you know, rely on right because the right. rest of it has this test around it right right and so i i like that but yeah as far as typos in in routes that stuff's just going to happen and if it's a typo in the code that processes the route then yeah i mean it's just not it's not something that changes often enough to where a critical route is going to get messed up in my opinion but yeah it, it, it actually did happen to me <laughs> In oh, oh, here we go. Here I, we go. I, I did not want to say that because, uh, yeah, but yeah, it, it did happen in one of my previous companies. That that's why I brought that up. Another like thing I th I think about is like mutation testing. You know, mm. explicitly introducing changes to your code and making mm -hmm. sure test breaks. Like this will facilitate that, right? Like yeah, to make sure that each route, each line of code, has an equivalent test that breaks if you change that line of code. Yeah, but you're right. The main argument was the same as that I mentioned earlier, which is ensuring that a route goes through a pipeline. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that you, makes sense. Well, let's let's wander off into the kind of realm of TDD. Do you how do you generally approach actual new development projects? Do you like to actually write the tests first and then the code, or vice versa? Or I guess at some point you have some kind of mix. Oh yeah, let's do all the holy wars. <laughs> getting into it. <laughs> I'm, I'm a big TDD, big big TDD guy. It actually was ingrained in me from my first job. Uh, my my mentor at my first company, he was also the CTO of the company, and he kind of grilled it in me. Even though he doesn't follow it all the time, <laughs> he he put me to that standard oh, no. and. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I'm i at a place now where it's, uh, if I do it, it just sets the tone for my entire project. And without doing that, my productivity gets like, you know, 50% of it, 50% hit usually, mm -hmm. especially if it's a project, which, you know, if I have done something similar like that before, writing tests really keep me on track and, you know, not, not get distracted by, oh, maybe I can do this differently or that differently. It's, uh, yeah, it makes sure that I, you know, deliver what's expected. In in fact, it's, it's funny, I was at a point in my previous company where I was taking requirements from the product owner and I was writing tests as I was taking requirements. It wasn't like a, like my notes. Uh, I was literally writing test cases and all I had to do was go back and just get those tests passed. <laughs> and <the laughs> nice. <laughs> Beautiful. I love that. All right, Eric, are you a TDD guy? No, 
I'm done. <laughs> Ooh. Right. Here we go. <laughs> Why not? I just haven't. I haven't. I've, I've never wandered into that world. Actually, I I do write some tests, but I'm actually much more of a manual testing guy. Uh, oh, okay. Um, I'm, you you took me. <laughs> There's been, I'm, I'm uh, always like, curious, I, right? I, I, I like this. I like this. This this concept of confidence in in your code, and you know, at a certain point, I just have so much confidence in my code. That sounds kind of arrogant, but <laughs> I hope you you can you can roll with me here. It's it's kind of when a certain thing has been so well battle tested over a while, then you kind of it, it doesn't fail. But now I'm actually. I will actually admit that that has come back to bite me pretty hard in the ass now because there's <laughs> there's some issue that's now popping up and I think it's because of a module that is required by one of the packages that I'm using on a Node.js backend and it's actually causing a bit of a, a hiccup in, in some environments and uh, I'm responsible for. So I'm gonna I have sec- I have I have scheduled three hours of time later this week just to wow. investigate what is going on there and I have no clue. If I had a test, I think I could have saved me. So I actually had this yeah. this this on my to-do list for a very long time now. It's a course that I bought two years ago by a guy in the JavaScript community that's called Kenzie Dodds. It's very famous. He has this great testing JavaScript course, and uh, I still have yet to complete it. And uh, getting... Oh, he, he's cutting out. Yeah, well, I will I'm say that... I'm getting cl- Yeah, go ahead. See, getting closer to the, getting closer to the point of actually doing the, the JavaScript course. Keep on talking. I will switch to a mobile net. No, it's all good. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I know Kent because he lives out here in Utah and I've known him for quite a long time. But and, and it's great that you're looking at picking up testing. I will tell you that, honestly, the big thing for me and, and I, I will admit I don't test everything, but I do get unit tests around pretty much any anything at the sort of class or module level, level that I can. And then I tend to do the end to end tests for at least the stuff that's like mission critical. And the reason is, is because what I find is that if I don't do that, people are like, well, it's a really simple app and you, you don't really need that. Yeah, you say that and then week three, it's it goes beyond really simple app, okay? It, it's just reality. The other thing is, is that, and, and I could go on and on and on. Of course, my thinking is tainted by talking to Bob Martin every month, once or twice a month. So take that with a grain of salt, but... I've seen this, especially lately with my full-time job. So there are two teams working on the same project. And we tend to work on things that don't cross the streams all the time, right? We, we deliberately try to make sure that we're not doing that. But the reality is, is that sometimes stuff crosses the streams or we'll work on something that they worked on last time, right? And if I get in and I start working on something and I assume that I know how the code works and I write and I change something, or add something, and then the code breaks the test, the, the build fails, right? It it makes a big difference for me to be able to go back and at least go to them or sometimes go to myself and say, duh, you knew this, right? Because sometimes it's my own test, right? The break. 